Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Talk Back Gardening, the first one for the month of November. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners and good morning, listeners. I'm looking out the window because I'm not in the studio, Deb. I'm home and I was looking at big bowls of big begonias and uh, impatience, both red and white. There's a lovely kaleidoscope of colour out there. So sometimes there's benefits from broadcasting from home. <laughs> yes, you do have that beautiful uh, view. I am looking out the window at Collinswood and I can see a little bit of cloud in a blue sky and uh, the, the tops of the trees are waving, so a little bit of wind around at the moment, I think. But, gee, we've got a, a packed hour ahead, haven't we, John? Yes, Weather-wise, we're having some strange weather. We've had lots of cloud. Um, we've had uh, uh, temperatures which are below average, rainfall slightly above average. What lies ahead? We're getting a little burst of sunshine now, but will it last? Darren Ray is the person who will give us the answers to our questions about what lies ahead. Darren, of course, is independent climatologist uh, here in South Australia and uh, he provides his one uh, three-month weather outlook for home gardeners and he'll be here very, very shortly and take uh, note of what he says about temperatures might rise but with the cloud, could we be in for problems with humidity? Then, Deb, later, citrus and it's time to really put the focus on citrus or is it? Um, it's pretty cool and citrus really are uh, warm, loving plants. Is it too early to actually start planting citrus is the question. And then there are many people that want to repot. And if you've got, say, a, a big container and it's a, got a big citrus tree and it needs repotting, how do you go about it? Well, citrus expert, uh, an internationally recognised Riverland citrus grower, Ian Tolley, is in the studio. At least I hope he's in the studio there, Deb. He is. He's here. It was just so lovely to see Ian again. Um, absolutely uh, adore Ian Tolley. And, you know, he is a global repository of information on citrus. So make sure that you get your questions in early and you can call in on 1300 222 891 to speak to Ian. We'll have him in the not too distant future. And of course, if we can squeeze in a couple of general talkback gardening questions, we will do that as well. And we always love your text comments on 0467 991. John, you're going to introduce oh, our guest. <laughs> you're waiting for me to say something. I am, I am. <laughs> yeah, normally, I mean, I would see your facial expression and <laughs> she'd say, come on. <laughs> but I can't see your face, Deb. <laughs> but uh, let's talk to Darren Ray, who's climatologist uh, here in South Australia. And, and if you talk to gardeners, uh, invariably at the moment, uh, they'll be talking about uh, a, a cold, wet spring. But in reality, it's only been probably a little bit uh, cooler than average and rainfalls probably only about 20 millimetres above for September and October. That's Adelaide. There are lots of other people uh, at places that have had uh, boggins of, of rain and uh, certainly a, a variability in temperatures. So let's take a look at what lies ahead. Uh, we're enjoying the sunshine at the moment. So uh, let's say good morning to you, Darren Ray. And please, sir, can we have some more sunshine? <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it, John? Um, yeah, lovely, lovely day like this, and uh, yeah, beautiful weekend to be out in the garden and uh, and even to start contemplating some beach beach activity would be nice after a bit of gardening as well. Oh well, I'll put the gardening up there, right up there. But anyway, let's take a look at uh, I suppose uh, the situation. October, I went through the Bureau's uh, stats and I could only find one day in October where there was blue skies. It was cloudy every other day and on 50% uh, of the days we, we had more than 50% of cloud. Why so much cloud? Yeah, it's um, – well, if you, when you think back to the climate influences, John, it's – yeah, it's pretty, pretty standard but, um, yeah, I've – Certainly, with people who were a bit over the bit over endless glum days, um, but uh, yeah, good news it has shifted. But uh, basically, the you know you think back to the climate influences, and we've got that negative India Ocean dipole, so warm waters to northwest of Australia, pumping, um, making that moisture available to be pumped down over us, and uh, 
and also the La Nina has kicked that kicked in um, over the last month or two as well. So we've got that you know both those moisture sources pumping up the uh, ocean temperatures around Australia, and that just makes lots of cloud available to come down from the north northwest. Okay, and, just a um, quick update. Yeah. So uh, could I just ask you? So uh, where are we with say La Nina? Is is that a, a reached its peak, and then when will it fade? And that, what's happening with the IOD in terms of its progression through the system? Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, let, let's so just look at the background we'll expect over the next few months from those influences. Um, so yeah, the Indian Ocean Dipole typically fades back to neutral during November. So um, we're starting to see that reflected in the ocean temperatures to the northwest of Australia, a little bit of starting to cool off a little bit. And the modelling's got that heading back to neutral pretty quickly as we go through um, go as we go through November and and into December. So certainly some stage over the next uh, you know two to four weeks it'll be back to neutral in, from the Indian Ocean perspective. Um, and the La Niñas typically peak around this time of year. So um, that's actually where the name comes from. Uh, La Niña's boy child in uh, Spanish, which is reflective of Christmas and Jesus. Um, and yeah, the impacts on ocean temperatures near Peru. So that's where the name comes from, is actually reflects the peaking of La Nina and El Nino influences. Sorry, El Nino is boy, boy child, La Nina is girl child. So basically reflects um, El, El Nino and Christmas and uh, Jesus, and that's where the name comes from. So reflects this yeah, peak okay. influence that happens well, right about this time of year. Yeah, well, I suppose people are more concerned about uh, the tropical rain that it's bringing. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's been most unusual. How long before they turn off the tap in the eastern states? Yeah, so uh, probably the good news for people in the eastern states in particular, and and um, and even for you know, people who are worried about fungal issues in South Australia, um, the does this one does look like it's probably going to peak a little earlier than than December and Christmas, and. Um, so it looks like it starts heading back to neutral pretty quickly in the new year. So, um, yeah, the influence looks like it'll fade off pretty quickly as we go through January, February. Um, so that's, yeah, that's good news from those who are dealing with floods and that sort of thing. Chatting to you yesterday and you were saying uh, we could be in for some humid weather. Uh, presumably that's associated with all the cloud we're getting and increasing temperatures or what, what's happening there? Yeah, so um, I mean the next uh, so this this month is is pretty interesting. We've got um, so you look at the look at the weather chart right at the moment. We've got what is a very typical summer pattern. So it does re uh, looking at the the current weather patterns and weather charts and the changes in in air pressure and that sort of thing does look like it shifted into that more of a summertime pattern. So we've got the subtropical ridge, the ridge high pressure is, is south of Australia. Got a big high in the in the Tasman Sea at the moment, so that's where we're getting the warm northerlies. Um, so we've got a bit of that over the next sort of week or so. But there are, are a couple of tropical low pressure systems coming across, um, and so there is a little bit of cloud that develops around those, um, and a little bit of patchy sort of you know patchy rain, thunderstorm activity depending on where you are. Um, and so we've got system coming through during the week next week, and then next weekend, um, this time next weekend will look quite different. We'll be um, Quite cloudy and humid, and possibly some thunderstorm activity around. So, but the I guess the thing thing with that is um, so it will it's it, you know I think we does very much look like we've lost the last of the you know that wintry feeling weather that we had like a week a burst of a week or so ago. And we're into so sort in of variations of in. Yeah, you know, with temperatures uh, for November, I mean, uh, it's been struggling to get into the 20s. Are we likely to see cont uh, plenty of 20s and maybe even up near the 30s? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've got, certainly got a taste of that. And um, so it does, does look like we've flipped over into that, you know, sort of pattern that looks a lot more summertime and alternating between temperatures in the, in the 20s and, in, and then getting into the 30s. So you, with La Nina around, some, the first half of summer tends to be milder with, with um, little to no heat extremes. And that's certainly what we're seeing this year. So um, the you know, while the temperatures do look like they'll stay in the 20s and creep up into the 30s occasionally, um, there's nothing any nothing particularly extreme showing up for the rest of this year. Um, and then it changes a little bit in January. 
Okay, that's fairly significant. The fact that uh, we're not going to get any uh, scorching hot weather before Christmas, but we're going to get humid weather before Christmas. Um, and, and you mentioned, okay, so November started off wet, then it's going to sort of turn out dry. Um, take us into the end of November, because that takes us also into December in terms of rainfall. Yeah, so, so I mentioned that, you know, the background conditions weakening off in terms of the starting to weaken off in terms of the feeds of moisture coming down from the from across northern Australia um, as everything starts to weaken off from those uh, the linear and IO indulation dipole influences. So um, the but the bursts of tropical activity that capitalise on that most moisture feeds are pretty key at the moment. So and through the rest of summer, and so there was a little burst. You know, about a week ago, um, we're into this sort of pattern where it's more in the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, so it's sinking down more over us at the moment. So that's inhibiting the the ability of these systems that we're seeing over the next week to really produce much in the way of rainfall. Um, but you know, saying that there is a bit, a little bit of moisture coming coming with those systems. Um, so, so will we get will will we get average rainfall for November? Not that there's only uh, about thirty millimeters anyway. Yeah, and we've had we've had a reasonable amount of that already. So uh, yeah, it doesn't look. I mean, the models have got something near average in terms of rainfall, but um, I guess it's starting to get a little bit tricky because, you know, all it takes is a you know happen to if you happen to get a half half decent thunderstorm coming over the top of you, and you know you can get yeah. a month's rainfall out of that. So it does make it a little bit tricky. But it, you know, the models are putting putting out something near average, and maybe just a, um, a, a tending a little bit above average for rainfall. Yeah. All right. So quickly through December in terms of rainfall and temperatures. Yeah. So um, same thing, staying uh, staying a little bit on the mild side, but um, uh, so nothing super hot showing up. Um, but you know, starting to get a little bit more typical for you know for you know twenties twenties low thirties temperatures. Um, we just say variable at the moment is, the, is probably the key word. Um, and uh, you know, sort of variation between you know days when you get hot northerlies and and then sort of milder southeasterlies and and then you get some humid thundery stuff come through. Um, there's it does look like the tropical activity picks up the end of month in the first week of December, dies off again through through the middle uh, sorry second week and then comes back a little bit again from mid month. Uh, so it does start to build as we go towards Christmas. Um, so so a little bit more potential for rain there. Um, but it has shifted a little bit. It's actually looking like the period um, between Christmas, New Year, and into the New Year, it's looking a bit more active in terms of uh, tropical activity and rain, rainfall potential. But the rainfall totals are still looking something around average out of the modelling, um, and yeah, temperatures um, near average, maybe a touch slightly cooler than average. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that's, Christmas, that's just, Christmas, Christmas Day is going to rain. Oh, it's yeah. We're too far ahead to be definite, but as okay. I as I said as I said John last um, last time, there is signs of um, in increased tropical activity um, around in that second half, you know, leading up to Christmas, and then as I just mentioned now through um, particularly you know from Boxing Day through to New Year's and into the New Year, it does look pretty active. All right, so, so it looks like mild, on the milder side for uh, up till Christmas time, then Christmas gets pretty variable by the sound of it. January, yeah. uh, I think you were saying last time, uh, last month, uh, we could be in for a hot burst just very, very quickly into January. Yeah, yeah. So um, first week looks cooler, then it does look like it warms up pretty quickly in the modelling in the second week. Um, and yeah, so that that first first half of January looks pretty active. Uh, from late late December through to through early January, so first half of January, um, and then it weakens off um, for uh, four weeks or so and comes back in mid Feb through to through to mid March. So and this is all very typical for summer, you know, on and off a bit depending on what the tropical activity is doing. So it does does change, um, you know, so your variations in heat and your rainfall do pretty pretty reasonably align with um, what the tropical activity is doing and and how it's switching on and off. So um, yeah, um, yeah, that but that second week of January, um, and then towards the end of January looks looks the peak times for 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 worrying about heat heat events. But I'm not, but I'm you know I'm not looking not seeing extended super extreme and extended periods of heat. Um, so yeah, that's pretty typical for a La Nina summer. Um, but uh, you you don't get heaps and heaps of uh, nasty heat, which is great.
Okay, well, a very interesting kind of weather. As you say, the word is variable, and we look forward very much to uh, what you might tell us next time you come in, first Saturday of next month. No worries. Thanks, John. Thank you, Darren. Darren Ray, our wonderful independent climatologist. Uh, We rely on his wonderful forward reports of what we can expect for our seasonal outlook for gardeners. So thank you, Darren, for that. Now, uh, John Lamb, we have got Ian Tolley in the building. In fact, he's sitting opposite me where you normally sit, but we've got a stone fruit question first. So we might go to that first before we introduce Ian um, to the guests. Paula has called in from Mount Barker. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, yeah, I've had a little bit of a disaster. I bought a young nectarin tree from a, a fruit tree um, nursery in April. I uh, don't know how old it is, but it's young. The main trunk is about three foot tall. Uh, it's been chopped off at the top to encourage growth outwards, I suppose. So that's all I can tell you about how old it might be. Um, so when the, the leaves started to open, I saw there was a small amount of curl leaf. So I picked off, I've been picking off all the affected leaves it's sort of a minority of them. And then last Saturday, being a warm day, I purchased some copper and some lime from my uh, local nurse, uh, local hardware store, and I sprayed the tree. Well, four days ago, it looked fantastic. There were 60 little nectarins. I thought I was probably going to have to thin them, but I've looked out the window this morning and all the leaves have gone brown, so I'm wondering if I've used the wrong product to spray it. Sounds like it. What did you use lime for? Well, I thought that you had to have hydrated lime with the, the uh, copper sulfate to do the... Oh, so you were trying to make a, a, um, a Bordeaux mixture, were you? Cop- you had, did yes. you have copper sulfate and lime? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, if you get that wrong, you, <laughs> you'll burn your leaves very, very, very quickly. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's mixing it up. I mean, that was a spray which was used 100 years ago. Uh, my great-great-grandfather was responsible for introducing Bordeaux from France into into the Victorian orchard industry. But, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, if you've got burnt leaves, what you've got to do is grow more leaves. So what okay. you need to do, I think, is uh, don't go chopping it off uh, until it's got new growth. Uh, just let it look after itself. Stimulate mm-hmm. the soil and the soil microbes. Use a soil extract and maybe use a half-strength fish, uh, organic fish mixture. And that should make the little soil biotas happy and take it from there. And I think leave it alone until you can see that there's new growth and then you might have to reshape it. But I think uh, it'll just be very, very unhappy for quite some time. If we, get, right. if we get into January and we're going to get some heat wave conditions, you might think of putting some shade cloth over it on the sunny side. But I think that's uh, for January. The main thing now is don't do too much. Just stimulate the roots, stimulate the soil biota. And should I chop off all the, take off all the um, young nectarins? Oh, yeah, if you've got fruit on it, take that off. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paula. And another call for you, John, before we get into Citrus with Ian Tolley. Rosalie in Northgate, good morning. Good morning. Now, um, I can't even pronounce what you've got, so you tell us what you've got <laughs> and what your problem is. Okay, I have trouble pronouncing it too. It's um, a little pot that I bought at a fate. It's in a pot two, uh, six centimetres by six centimetres, and it's... Um, Senatio articulatus globosus. Senatio <laughs> articulatus globosus. Is it? Are we yes. talking about a house a house plant? Is it? Yes. It. it, it I, um, I looked it up on Google, but it didn't give me any directions. I got the name, but that's all. I don't know how to look after it. It's in a tiny oh, little. No. Are, we, are we talking uh, Senatio? It's a very large family. That one. Um, is it a a house plant you've got? You've bought? Yeah, it's it's uh, like I've got it inside. It's only about three, four inches tall. It's got three like little beans on, like little yeah, jelly I, beans on top of each other, oh, and okay. it's flowered. Yeah, right. It's actually yeah, flowered. Okay. Had had, and then I've saved the seeds. I let that drop yeah, into well, a, just, a pot. Just look, just look at it. Just uh, whatever you do, don't water it. <laughs> 
keep it on the dry, keep it very much on the dry side. Keep it in a small container. It doesn't like a, a great big pot, so keep it in a small container. Mulch the surface with uh, pebbles if you want to. Uh, just keep it inside. And the only thing it needs is some good light. If it gets good light, it'll sort of produce small little beans. If it doesn't, uh, it'll sit there and salt. But whatever you do, don't fertilise it, and whatever you <laughs> do, don't overwater it. Another little bean that's come up alongside of it, but how long can I leave it in that little pot? And if I need to put it into a bigger pot, because it is tiny, how do I know when to do it? And what uh, what soil or what um, what's it sitting in? Because it just looks well, like very almost bad. If, if, if it's... If it's producing new beans, leave it alone for 12 months. In 12 months' time, take it out and put it into a slightly bigger container. Uh, make sure it's a good free-draining potting mix. Uh, it might have just a small amount. In fact, if you buy a good quality potting mix, it'll have a little bit of fertiliser in it, so it won't need any fertiliser, and I think uh, that's all you need to do. So, Rosalie, uh, not a lot to need to do there for that one. Thank you very much for the call. We are going to have our International Citrus expert Ian Tolley available to you in moments time if you would like to contact him call in now on 1300 222 891 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide South Australia and Broken Hill It's been a slightly cooler start to spring and it's also been slightly wetter start to spring and the missing element of course has been sunshine all we've had is clouds more clouds so what's the effect on citrus growing in people's home gardens it's time to say good morning to ian tolly uh a wonderful friend a wonderful citrus grower in the riverland and it's nice to to uh, at least know that you're in Adelaide, at least uh, you're in the studio while I'm at home. <laughs> it's quite perverse, isn't it? But anyway, good morning. I didn't think you'd go to such lengths to avoid me, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, goodness gracious. Yeah, we, we've had our disagreements over many, many years, but uh, I think on citrus, uh, um, I certainly defer to your wonderful knowledge there, Ian. So, okay, there, I mean, it's been a cooler start to season, and, and uh, citrus really are sort of warm-loving plants. Uh, um, is it too early to start planting citrus? Absolutely, and you re- referred to slightly more rainfall. Uh, I think the word, in my view, is uh, is quite misplaced, John. Uh, so oh, we'll have our first answer. little tiff on that one. It's been saturated. And I think that um, what we have to remember is that when that water goes into the soil or into the pot, whatever, uh, and there's a caution about rain with a canopy over a pot because then the water doesn't get, the rain doesn't go into the pot and you'll see wilted trees uh, two or three days after you've had a heavy rain and it's because none of that rainwater got into the pot, by the way. Uh, let's get back to the soil. In all of the soils, with the exception of pure sand, um, you're driving the air out when that heavy rain comes. There's no air for the plant roots to breathe. Now, uh, the plants that are already there have an established root system, and so they cope relatively well. But if it goes on and on and on, then you'll start having callers coming in and saying, my lovely, lovely tree is doing all sorts of funny things. But in a new tree, to put it in there with no air spells disaster, and it's great for the salespeople. You go and buy a new tree when it dies, and please wait until you get warmer weather. The warmer weather itself will start to drain the water. Uh, You'll get aeration gradually occurring. But it's a lesson in particularly in heavy, heavy soils that if you're going to plant citrus in that area, you really need to mound the soil because then you induce aeration which otherwise doesn't occur if it's just a flat piece of land and if you think of a figure to make that mound like I'm going to do it 15 or 18 inches uh, tall and and a metre wide think about doubling that because the roots in the second year will be 6, 8, 10 feet away 
And so uh, you're putting it in the mound to give it a really good start for those first two years. And here's your wonderful opportunity to get into mulching uh, as the final uh, achievement of your planting in a mound. But you've already prepared that mound with uh, compost, compost, compost in heavier soil. (laughs) And then that that starts your aeration. And then the height of the mound completes it and uh, the tree will be in heaven. Okay. Um, In terms of planting, um, I think we could be in troubles because, okay, it's much later than normal. Uh, Often we'll get temperatures warm enough here in Adelaide, uh, uh, up around 18 degrees in in the beginning of October. Uh, They're still down around about 16 at the moment. But um, listening to Darren Ray, and he's sort of saying, righto, be aware that the first couple of weeks in January could be heat wave conditions, or at least very, very, very hot. So um, one presumes that the later we leave it, Ian, the less time the tree has got to re-establish its root system before the hot weather, or maybe we say, righto, uh, wait until the ground is warm, put the citrus in, but during the summertime, when the heat waves are there, maybe we use shade cloth and we protect the tree. Um, In all the pamphlets that I've produced over the years advising growers to plant trees, we've never limited them for, for hot summers because... The main thing in a hot summer is that you just keep the water up. Um, Citrus are remarkably tolerant of heat if the water's there. If you don't water it, then you'll start to get a very funny-looking edge on your leaves and it's just screaming out, you're not giving me enough water. So I, I don't place a great emphasis on planting trees later Uh, But I do place a lot of emphasis on saying avoid planting at this time of the year for this year with so much wetness and so little air. Okay, so let's move now on to repotting. And there are many people that have got a large container probably wine barrel size and it's uh, they've had their tree and it's been there and it's growing very very nicely for 10 years and then it starts to sort of uh, well, the old leaves go yellow and it uh, doesn't have as much uh, fruit and flower on it as it has in the past it obviously needs repotting but how do you repot a large citrus tree in a large container. It's very easy and you need to have a moment of truth and stand back because for all those years you've loved your tree, you've had your crop and there it is, I do a little trim here and a little trim there and the top gets bigger and bigger. Um, (laughs) The pot is not getting bigger and bigger, the pot is just staying there and so the root system is totally, totally limited and then comes your moment of truth. Oh goodness me, I have outgrown the top of my tree and the roots are unable to do this. Now, this gets back to watering before I finish that little story because um, when we've had this rain, would you believe that I had trees in big tubs that wilted two days, three days after the rain and we had two and a half inches and just shed it straight outside the pot? Uh, and when I dug down, I had dry potting media in this after two and a half inches of rain. So be careful. Now, yesterday, I did an in-arch for a friend of mine, and I told him to keep watering, keep watering. Yes, he did that. When I started to dig down into his potting media, it was dusty, bone dry. And he Whoa. said, but we've had so much rain. And I said, yes, well, there's the evidence, and there was nothing there. It, was, it would blow away in the breeze, and uh, I'm seeing this everywhere. So be careful of that. Now, when you get back to this tub balance with the top, um, you, need, you need to know that you've got a nice frame there. You can be quite brutal with it when you've suddenly discovered that years ago you should have reduced the tree and kept it compact. But you can do that any time, believe you me, even if you have to use a saw to get back to a nice shaped tree that is in balance with the amount of roots you've done. Now, that's not the end of your responsibility. From now on, you've got to remember 
that uh, wetting the trees, and this is where the seriousness of drainage from the tub, I hope the tub is up on blocks or bricks or whatever, I hope the tub has good drainage holes, and I hope that when you water and you flood the top and the water goes through, that you see evidence of seepage coming out of the holes. I said seepage. I didn't mean water running out everywhere, because if it is, it's going to be black as tea and you've just kissed your fertiliser goodbye. All the soluble, soluble elements have now um, spread before your feet. So you get to learn how much water you need to put on just to get a dribble out of it. And in that way, you maintain your balance. And yes, monthly, 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 because we don't know when the roots are growing. And though I can certainly uh, say to you, because this is technical uh, in the sense we've got all the evidence to show that most of the time the roots are growing at a different time when the top is growing. So how can okay. you tell? That's why it's monthly. Ian, I need to just remind people that uh, our guest this morning is in fact Ian Tolley, international citrus expert, and he's answering your questions about uh, uh, citrus. And I'd like you to tell a little story shortly, Ian, if you can, uh, about uh, a conversation you've overheard between it, a t- the canopy of a tree and its roots. But I think, Deb, uh, I can see that there are already questions coming in. Yeah, look, I'm there, sure are, that, there uh, are a lot of questions, John, so we're going to have to rip through them. Mm, so if you can keep okay. your questions succinct, that would be great. Lynn is in Murray Bridge. Now, Lynn, you've got a question about your dwarf mandarin. Yes, I've got a dwarf mandarin tree that I've got in a pot and it's been there for three years and it just doesn't fruit. It doesn't seem to grow much more. Uh, it's lost a few leaves on a branch and they haven't grown back. <laughs> I'm not a, not a really good gardener. I'm just learning. So what's wrong with my tree? What right. Questions, Lynn. Uh, what's the variety you're talking about? I, I'm not 100% sure. Empress springs to mind, but I'm kind of hoping I haven't got that mixed up with a lemon tree. All right, um, let, let, me, let me ask the next question. Are you fertilising it on a monthly basis? I'm probably not on a monthly basis. I have just started using some sea salt on it to see if that... Sea salt is not a fertiliser. Oh, OK. Sea salt uh, is a stimulator. Um, it helps uh, the tree no end as a stimulator, but people make that mistake. It is not a fertiliser. The sort of things that I talk about in monthly applications are organic fertilisers and you see it on the bag, 14 different elements that are listed. Uh, you don't get that with sea salt. So obviously you're not fertilising uh, by mistake and I'm sorry for you for that. Um, and if you do go back to that and start your watering so that you're getting that little seepage underneath your pot, and I hope the pot's off the ground, um, then have patience because at three years with the, and and I hope you don't think, Lynn, I'm abusing you, with the mistreatment that it's had, mainly through misunderstandings, um, you're now on a reparations path and uh, give it, be patient, no, couple of years you'll be okay fertilizer for you lynn thank you sally's in warrodale on fertilizing hi sally oh hi and hi ian hello sally lovely to hear you could you please settle a neighborhood um question Uh. for us please with regular monthly fertilizing should you hold off when there are tiny tiny fruitlets on the tree does the regular fertilising at that time caused fruit drop, please. Sally, I love you dearly because what you've raised is something that I'm dying to say. Most people still do not understand that when the flowers are there beautifully uh, uh, fertilising your nose with the perfume and you love it, and then the colours of the little fruits begin to change. Some stay yellow, some stay green, and then suddenly panic. You've got a carpet of, of flowers on the ground. What have I done wrong? You need only 2% of the total flowering to have a heavy crop. So this is, this is you're worrying about something that doesn't exist. It's, it's Mother Nature... 
are always uh, having an excess of flowers with all varieties. There are no exceptions. Um, and just relax on that. So fertilising doesn't cause fruit rot? when Absolutely not. Okay, Sally, there you go. I don't know whether you've come in on the winning side or not on that argument, but thanks for calling in. Uh, David is at Moreland's. David, you put a mandarin tree in last year. What's happened to it? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, yeah, the mandarin's an imperial. I planted it last year. It's a metre and a half uh, tall and uh, looking quite healthy. But all of a sudden, I noticed last month, the older leaves are actually starting to curl, uh, not from side to side, but actually curling from tip towards the, the uh, stem. And it's got new growth. Uh, it's got, uh, had, had flowers. Uh, they're just about nearly finished and fruit is sitting there. So I'm just wondering what the curling is of that. Right, David, um, I'm glad you said it was imperial because there's a genetic difference with imperials and that curling of the leaf. I know of only one other mandarin uh, that does this and you said on the older leaves. Now, citrus is an evergreen, but it's constantly dropping leaves. It's changing its leaves. As soon as in a young tree, for instance, the first couple of years, an old leaf will be 18 months old. Just, just that little bit. It won't hang around for very long and it will start. And the tree says, oh, well, you're dying. I'll take all your nutrients for the new growth. And all sorts of curly things happen, but it's accentuated with imperials. So don't worry about that. That's just a normal process um, of that tree coming to think. Now, do you know what rootstock you've got on, on the tree? No, I'm sorry. I wouldn't have a clue. Okay. Uh, Okay, um, just be careful. Um, I'm going to take a guess that it's not on a correct rootstock because I'm having trouble all over the place in Australia with, with that. Um, be careful not to overcrop your tree. Be careful not to let it get out of hand. Be careful to have it down to a smaller shape than Ian Tolly said, and I don't like it, but I've done it. You will get really good cropping on a smaller canopy and you reduce the incompatibility that occurs with most imperials on the rootstocks, which some of these people that call themselves nurserymen uh, would want to sell. I'm not blaming the tin sheds or anything like that. I'm just saying back at the nursery, they don't know their craft. They're not putting a compatible rootstock. You have to take that step for you to make sure to never let the tree get out of hand. Keep it tight, you'll get good cropping. Thank you very much for the call, David. On the text line, Louise from Golden Grove says, Thank you, Mr Tolly. Changing to monthly citrus fertiliser has revived my neglected old lime and my abundant tangelo. Thank you, Louise. We're coming back to more of Ian Tolly's questions. You can ask them. We've got quite a few people in the queue already, and I don't know that we're going to fit any more, so I wouldn't bother ringing in, but certainly listen in. We'll be back with Joy, Patricia and David next. You're listening to Talkback Gardening. We are in the studio. Ian Tolley, international citrus expert, is with me. Um, John's at home, but Joy from Glenside is on the line. Joy, you've got a lemon seedling question. Yes, good morning to you all. Ian, I spoke to you on the phone, uh, and I haven't taken a photo of the seedling, but it's doubled its height. And one question uh, has been answered by you that I haven't actually fertilised it, but it's got beautiful three or four inch lovely new growth on it. How long before it's likely to show that it'll crop? Well, I hope that your term lemon seedling is is an incorrect appreciation. I hope it's a budded tree, um, but... Uh, can I... No, no, it came up by seed, and I'm just interested... Uh, to see whether it's going to to bear fruit. Okay, uh, then it's po- quite possibly. Um, did it come from a lemon fruit or did it come from a rootstock tree? Well, that I don't know because it came up in the new garden, and I'm assuming it's just a seed out of a lemon. So you said it's doubled its height in a pot, and that tells me that it's uh, has a, a surplus of vigour. 
and it's growing like crazy. And that's juvenile vigour, and there's nothing you can do about that except uh, keep using that vigour to shape the tree and keep it compact. And eventually it will run out of steam and then start to produce new shoots, small shoots, many shoots, all around these big stems that you've been uh, beheading, uh, and then it'll start to fruit. So you've got to be very patient if it's just a seedling. Uh, I would expect you not to get any decent fruit for four or five years, maybe six. Thank you. Thanks very much for the call, Joy. I do appreciate that. Joining us now from Linden Park is Patricia. Now, Patricia, you've got a mandarin and an orange. Good crop last year, not much this year. Uh, Patricia, is, are these trees in the ground and how old are they? Uh, they're in the ground and probably about 10 years old. Okay. Um, this tree is a juvenile tree at that age, and it's still trying to work out uh, what the soil's like, what your environment, the microclimate at your place, and it's popped out uh, a good crop. But what you didn't have to follow is that flush of young growth, which is where this spring they would have flowered on the very tips of that short new growth with no juvenile vigour. And that's where your next crop is. The navel orange had flowered proficiently now, Mm. but the um, mandarin didn't have any blossom at all. This mm. year. Um, what what's the variety? Uh, I, I'm unsure about that. All I know, it's got pits in it. <laughs> mm. I didn't quite understand that. Uh, the fruit, well, the fruit that was on it last year, which was prolific, uh, had a lot of pips in it. Yes. Yes, that doesn't help me. Uh, I'm sorry I can't say anything about that, but I can say at three years um, these trees are adjusting to the new environment. That's what you need to relax about. Uh, Don't worry about it. They will settle down, uh, and once that happens, if you look like getting a massive crop... uh, uh, blink your eyes, don't look at what you're doing, put your hands out and start thinning, thinning, thinning. And that will allow new shoots to come, which will be your next year's crop. And then you'll be up and away and your alternate cropping will be much, much less than if you don't do anything. Thank you for the call, Patricia. David from West Croydon uh, with a lemon tree question. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have an established lemon. It's a segmented lemon. Uh, I believe it's a a Japanese variety, I've been told by someone else. Um, Last year, on the advice of Alan, I put quite a bit of pelletised chicken manure fertiliser. I think it was uh, a a bucket and a half, I think, went out. And um, uh, it, it did produce fruit prolifically. And uh, there's still quite a bit of fruit on the tree now, but it is in flower now. Uh, my question relates to should that last year's fruit all be thinned now and uh, and it's also quite leggy, should I be trimming it now? Hmm. Um, can you tell me what you meant by segmented fruit? Uh, well, the fruit, if you open it up, it segments a bit like a mandarin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... It's, is it, is it, does it look like a real lemon or are there particulars with regard yeah, to the colour of the wood or the change of leaf shape or anything like that? Uh, I couldn't comment on that, but uh, the, the skin tends to be a bit rougher, I think, than a standard lemon that we might be familiar with. Uh-huh. Um, don't, don't worry, I've got you now. Um, this is a rootstock lemon, um, and mm. as it matures, then the, it's easy to peel. It's not easy when it's just beginning to ripen. Um, they make a lovely summer drink. Uh, they do have seeds, of course, and they tend to be thorny at the beginning because they've got so much juvenile vigour. So that's where you're at at this moment. Thank you, David. Patricia's in South Plimpton. Now, your grapefruit tree has gone yellow, Patricia. Yes, it has. It's suddenly gone very yellow after producing an abundance of flowers and I wondered if it had wet feet and should I try some iron chelates or trace elements, what can I do? Well, now, first of all, with regard to trace elements, um, you've only got one time 
to be able to apply these and that's when the tree is shooting and you've got new growth and the stomates on the leaves are open and receptive and you put your chelated elements like zinc, manganese, uh, magnesium and iron. Now what I'm saying to you though with a grapefruit tree and it's all yellow, I take that take it that's what you meant. Um, this tree has had an aeration problem in your rainfall and it's been having real trouble breathing. And uh, from that point of view, those leaves have aged. The tree is in panic mode, has been withdrawing nutrients from those leaves. You don't have a, a deficiency. The tree is trying to survive. So be, be aware that these yellow leaves are going to start dropping off, dropping off, but it's not going to be uh, a dangerous thing. It's just the tree readjusting. As the weather gets warmer, more air in the ground, uh, the tree will recover. You'll have new growth. You can put your nutrients, your chelated nutrients on the new leaf, but still get back then to your monthly fertilizing, <coughs> which gives all the elements that the tree needs. Thank you, Patricia. I hope that goes well for you. Rosalie is on Kangaroo Island. Now, I'm sorry to hear that your citrus tree was burnt in the bushfires, Rosalie. Yeah, that's right. For Rosalie, first thing, get out your white bucket of paint uh, because this tree has got all sorts of places where the sun is going to get to it because it's been burnt. Uh, and the white paint will effectively stop it when the summer comes and you get those odd searing heat days out of nowhere where you would get burning on the wood. Uh, you'll see it months later, you know, what's wrong with my tree? It's all cracked and uh, uh, it's strangely, it's on one side of the tree and the other side in the east is unaffected. It's sunburn. No, you, yeah. you can correct that right now. So on that basis, just shape the tree from what's left as if it was going to be a tree. And it will start making that shape if you do that. It'll, it'll fundamentally want to fill that available area. But the paint is critical for you to start. And then get back to monthly fertilising because the tree is in a trauma at this stage because of the sunburn. The, um, the tree is shooting out multitudes of shoots like hairs on a cat's back. All these little shoots trying to come out on the wood that survived. Well, that's, that's a good sign. I still don't forget that paint, whatever you do. Um, but uh, the new shoots are going to precipitate those yellow leaves dropping, dropping, dropping everywhere. So relax, normal. It's, it's recovering very well from the blast that it got. But my question is, should I be thinning out all those multitude of... No, 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 no. Don't do anything because uh, it's going to find a balance. Uh, the thing that will happen eventually is that you'll get a massive crop next year and you should thin that, uh, apropos of the earlier question about thinning and getting back to a normal crop, reduce the crop spectacularly you know if do it once and then do it again and then you think you might be right do a little more and then the following year you'll have a normal crop and the tree will get back to normal uh, annual reasonable cropping thank you rosaline thank you for all of your calls we are going to hear a little bit more from ian tolly in just a moment but if you have uh, not won anything from our station in the last month and you'd like to win yourself an abc gardening australia magazine i have two brand new november editions to give away right now you can call in on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. You're listening to Talkback Gardening. So we are in the studio, Talkback Gardening, with international citrus expert Ian Tolley. Ian, it's so wonderful to have you here. It's so great to welcome an old friend. Um, John, I know you've got a lot to talk about with Ian. Yes, Ian is a wonderful storyteller, and uh, he also makes up little stories sometimes, I think. So, Ian, I know that... Uh, You've been listening to the canopy of the trees in your area and uh, they've been talking to the roots of the trees in your area. Indeed they have. Can you tell us what it's all about? Well, 
it, I've been doing master classes, as you know, for many years, and when I have 60 or 80 people in front of me, uh, the questions keep coming, and you see the similarities. The person on the left is asking a question about lemons, someone else, and I put that together. And in frustration to try and give them as much information as I could in the three or four hours that we're doing it, I invented a story. So I would pick a sweet, tall, young girl... Um, a girl, not a boy, uh, and say, can you come up and help me? And she'd stand b beside me. And then I would get someone, uh, a male, female, but someone stout and solid and respectable on the other side. And then I'd say, um, your name is Tree, and would put a, put a plaque now. And she's now known by Tree. And by the way, can I introduce myself? I'm Mycelium. Um, and on my other side here, we've got biota. So we've now got tags. And I start the conversation. I ask the tree, I said, what a wonderful place you've picked to grow. And there you are. You do it without any trouble at all. You face the sun and you produce copious quantities of sugar and it pours away. And your <coughs> inexperience hasn't told you yet you need a lot more food to eat. Uh, not just sugar. Now, I have something that I can help you with because if you look at your roots, you see those pads that are sitting on your root. Actually, that's me because my fingers, my mycelium fingers, are attached to your trees. So I have a connection with you and you've not noticed. Now, I've got some friends. Uh, let's call them biota, but there's thousands of them. And they are all underground and they can't produce sugar and they need sugar. Oh, by the way, I would like a little bit too. But in exchange, they do a fabulous job. You know, when you put the fertilizer on monthly and so forth, you can't eat that. But the biota converts it to a beautiful soup just for you. Now, would you be interested in doing something? Oh, yes, I would. Excuse me. I've just talked to them. Hey, Biota, I think we've got a deal. We've got this tree. She's photosynthesizing. And I open my fingers and we make a connection. And that's why and how it works. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that's a wonderful story, Ian. And uh, you tell it so well. It's all about what's happening in the soil. Yeah. We spend so much time worrying about the, the leaves and the branches and how the tree grows, and we need to start refocusing on what's happening in the soil. And I think you've just talked yourself into coming back again very, very soon. <laughs> I need to talk to you and have a whole session about soil health and citrus. Yes. I'll make it, John, the next time I'll try and use the calendar for the three weeks at the end of each month so that we've <laughs> yes, got a little bit of Thank you very water. much for your contribution. I've loved just <laughs> sitting back here and, and listening to you tell stories. You're, you're a great storyteller, and thank you for your information this morning. And thanks to the listeners for their patience nice. and tact, and uh, I hope they understand I do it in good faith. We love you, and so many people on the text line saying how wonderful you are and people that have attended your masterclass saying thank you very much much for all the information you've given. John, we'll have to move on. Yeah, okay. So I'll go and enjoy my garden and hopefully I'll be back in the studio next week. Until then, I'll say good gardening.